Let's turn to the text today. It comes from Mark chapter 5. Verse 21 and following. You probably have heard multiple sermons on this text. I have too. I've chosen this text. When I was able to stand, I just read a few passages in my own reading. And I really didn't choose this passage because she had hemorrhage. Something akin to what I've been going through, really. But I'll tell you why I chose it. But just let's just remind ourselves of what is happening here. If you look at verse 25 and following, we are introduced to a woman. Verse 25 and a woman. She is nameless woman, simply a woman. And the Greek word for the woman will normally indicate that that person is married, a wife. Normally you will translate that word as wife. I don't know, we don't know. But she's not a young woman, but probably 12 years of suffering, probably in late 20s, but early 30s, we don't know. But I would simply say a woman, nameless, probably a middle-aged woman, marital status we don't know, nameless and, and faceless woman, who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Hemorrhage is ble- bleeding. Now, obviously, she's not bleeding from any other place, but it is pointing to a place. Her most intimate place and a most vulnerable place. And it is one thing to suffer from a disease, a long-term suffering. But it is another thing to add shame to it. So because of her hemorrhage, she will not be sharing with anyone what she's suffering from. If you have a broken arm, you could tell everyone, my arm is broken. If you are sick, if you have a high fever, you could tell everyone I'm sick. But if you have this kind of disease, sickness, you cannot share it with anyone. Why? Because it is a shameful thing. You know, let me just briefly share. For your sake, you know, when I walked into that... um, operation room two weeks ago. I don't know. If you have ever done surgery in your life, many of you, if not most of you, you've been healthy all your life, so probably you will see a doctor here and there, but not really an actual surgery room. I had a couple of surgeries in my life, 
one major, one minor when I was young, but not in my adult life. I've never really walked into a uh, you know, operation room and I was really scared too. It was in the community drive, you know the place, community drive on top of the hill. I went in and they do this pre-surgery thing and interview and um, now it's time to go. It's nine o'clock, it's time to go. And I thought about running away. <laughs> Pulled all the strings, just run out, just, just run away, but I just couldn't do it. And they told me to take off my glasses so I couldn't really see. Right now, I can't really see. I see people sitting, but it is really fuzzy. I cannot see. So I walk into a operation room, and I was so surprised. I was so surprised because there were so many people. I thought it would be a surgeon and with a couple of people, probably three people. In my previous thing, I had like three, four people. I walked in like this, half naked. I see like, I counted about six to eight people. And I thought, what's going on? Why do we need so many people? And the operation table, table was tilted this way, and I would go like frog, like this. And uh, that, that was, I was like, I mean, are you serious? I mean, is this serious? So many people, they will see everything. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, really, this is happening. The like, whole crowd is watching me going up, sitting like this frog. And um, as, the, uh, as I was going like this, the drug kicked in, and next thing you know is waking up from the surgery. Um, I share that just briefly. In those times, you are alone. You have your wife, your family. Psychologically, you depend on them. But I thought, you know, this is something I could share with you. You are a single person, and time will come. I thought this whole thing was a preview of what will come inevitably, and it will come. And you will be alone, and nobody, no one could help you. Nobody. You're alone. And at that time, I wish and I hope that you will have faith as this woman had. So she's bleeding from the bottom, so no, she, she will not be able to share her pain or suffering. Now, 12 years... She suffered for 12 years. What does that tell you? It tells me this is a real account of a real person. Nobody's going to make up 12 years. How many years? 12 years. And she spent all that she had. Was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. Endured much at the hands of many physicians. This is not a slight against physicians. As I woke up from the, the surgery, 
First person came to my mind strangely was Alex. I'm, I'm serious. Alex, brother Alex, came to my mind, and I thought to myself, as soon as I'm, I'm feeling well, I'm going to take him out, and and buy him a dinner or something like that. Because, I mean, he does this every day, all day, all his life. He's a surgeon. Thought about many healthcare providers in our own church, nurses. We have many nurses, and all the all the people they what they go through. You know, they they just. I was just so thankful for all these people. Uh, a nurse was attending attending right next to me when I was waking up, and I recognized her last name and first name, and I had a. Brief conversation. She was a Christian. I was, and there's a big dude. He was helping me to go to the bathroom. I mean, all this. I was just so thankful for all those, all those people. It just tells us that that couldn't help her. This is incurable disease. Twelve years. Think about all the trips that she had taken. You, when you are desperate, when you are sick. What are you going to hear? All these people will come up to you and tell you, "So and so is great doctor." She, this region is North Galilee, and we think of that North Galilee is just village, but Decapolis, ten cities, Decapolis, where she was around, is a major commercial city in the North Galilee. So she would hear about so and so is a great doctor. Why don't you try him? Try this doctor, and she would go and with much hope, she would bring much money. But every time her hopes were dashed, and she would probably go down to so and so to Jerusalem, making a long journey south. But didn't work. So what? What is left? Really nothing. She's desperate. But verse twenty-seven says, after hearing about Jesus, about what? Until now, probably she heard that she Jesus was a healer. So many people got healed, and she is a rabbi. So after hearing about Jesus, what is she going to do? Listen carefully. She came up in the crowd. So many people, Jesus walking, and so many people surrounding him. So she had to navigate through the crowds. Where does she come up? Where does she? Where is she approaching him from? Behind. Why? Because she's coming. He's coming this way. She's not going to go this way. She will go behind him and touched his garment. Luke eight eight forty four. This account is written in every synoptic gospel. Luke eight says she touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. For she was saying, "If I touch his garments, I will be saved from this." 
It really was not about this account that drew my attention, that she was reaching out and all of that. But how did this account begin? If you look at verse 22, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and he pleaded with him to come to his house to save his young girl, right? So he was on his way to Jairus' house. And look at verse 35. I think I gave you verse 35. The last While he was still speaking to the girl, to the woman, they came and said, your daughter has died. And actually, that was that verse drew my attention, verse 35. This journey that Jesus was taking was not at all about this woman, but it was about Jairus' daughter. Jairus is a synagogue official. Now we think about pastor as separate from church and state, separation and all of that. There's a church. But at the time, if you are a synagogue official, you are a leader of the town. You are a respected person and powerful person. Probably the most powerful person. So Jairus had means and courage and status to approach Jesus to ask him to come to his house. What about this woman? That's why I call her a shadow. She had no means, absolutely no status, no power, nothing. That's why she comes from behind. She was so scared that she didn't even grab his arms or feed. But the fringe of the garment, he's not, she's not pulling, but she simply touched. So she is really, I would say, absolutely nobody, but less than nobody, she's just a shadow. She does not really exist. Here today, gone tomorrow, nobody will notice, nobody will care kind of person. But something happens. She's immediately healed and she knew. She knew. Hundreds of people, loud, crowdy, and people just milling around. But she alone knew something had happened. If you look at all the miracles of Jesus, people will count about 37, 38, up to 40 accounts. You examine all of that. This is the only miracle that Jesus performed involuntarily. Everything else, Jesus speaks. Jesus says, I am willing, I will. And he says something, he does something, but this is actually, he's just walking by and women knew something had happened and Jesus also knew something had gone out, the power had gone out from him. It was so startling even to Jesus himself, he turns around and he says, who touched me? 
I don't know what the tone was, but I know the tone was not, who touched me? It was loud. So she, he had to speak up. And the point, uh, it was so startling and frightening, she came trembling and she fell down. Probably, I would say with authority, with loud voice, who touched me? And Jesus says this, verse 34. This lady, woman, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Whole truth. On the floor. And, and, and she was scared. Whole truth. Probably she was expecting what? Rebuke. Some kind of judgment from this, this famous rabbi. But what comes out of Jesus' mouth is really the gospel to this woman. Pay attention to verse 34. What does he say? Daughter. Immediately I thought, she was a woman, nameless, faceless, and now she is given a status. You may say, well, daughter is a standard way of saying, addressing woman, when if you look up any other accidents or the incidents that Jesus was involved with, Jesus will normally say a woman. Canaanite woman, oh woman, your faith is great. It shall be done according to your faith. But in this case, you and I, we know every word inspired. Jesus does not utter a word and waste it. It has meaning to it. And Jesus, probably younger than her, daughter, guess what Jesus says. Your faith has saved you. What saved her? What healed her? It was Jesus' divine power. But what does Jesus say? Jesus does not say, my power saves you, so be better be thank- you better be thankful. My divine essence had healed you, so worship me. It's all true. That's how it happened. But the way that Jesus interprets this incident is, daughter, your faith has, what? Not healed you, but saves you. You may be puzzled and say, well, I don't see genuine repentance I don't see accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ for justification and sanctification. I don't see any sola fide justified by faith alone in Christ alone. She's not confessing Jesus is Lord, curious. I don't see any of that. So this probably has to do only with physical healing. 
It's a really a difficult question. But one thing I know is that Jesus is correct and right. Jesus is not making a false statement. So in that whole transaction when she fell down and told him the whole truth, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. I would say that will include physical salvation from this affliction, but plus also her own soul as well. I would like to believe that. We cannot put higher hurdle before her when Jesus himself says, your faith has saved you. Now, when Jesus says, daughter, your faith has saved you, what is Jesus really saying is he is beckoning us to come to him with faith. You know, past few weeks as I've been reading Matthew and Mark, especially early chapters, you know there are many healing incidents. All kinds of people. And we think that, you know, they all sound the same. Jesus heals this person and moves on. So we pay more attention, more to his teaching than the healing accounts. But I've noticed something. That is, if you read carefully, most, I would say 99% of all these people, you know why they, those accounts are written in the early chapters of the gospel? This person was healed, this person was healed, the leper, a blind man, Canaanite woman, or this woman, Jairus' daughter, all these people. You know why they are written down in the gospels? There's one common denominator, that is, they all came to Jesus. It was startling discovery for me. Exceptions might be a widow at nine. The procession, the funeral procession was coming out. Nonetheless, all these healing accounts are written down because all these people, they came to Jesus. This is a significant point. Paralytic, his friends carried him and brought him down from the Roof. They were all healed by Jesus because they came to Christ. What I would say to you is a couple of things. There are plenty of people in the church who came to church but never to Christ himself. There are plenty of covenant children who grew up in church, came to church but never came to Christ. There are people who came to reformed theology, but never to Jesus Christ. Famous theologian, famous this and that, theology, traditions, church services, all of that, I'm not discounting them, they are important. But it is good for us to check this. Salvation comes from Christ alone, and you have to make the journey on your own. And 
when the time comes. I hope that will come decades later, but you will be alone in your deathbed. And there will be nobody who could help you. Nobody, absolutely nobody who will be next to you and help you. You alone will suffer and you alone will die and you will go into that unknown. You will make the transition from here to unknown place. But only comfort will be to know that you have come to Christ and Christ is your Savior and you are in Christ. That is the only comfort in life and death. And only if you are in Christ, when you are awake, you will be satisfied with Christ's likeness. No doctor, no pastor, no pope, no priest, no wife, no husband, no money. At the time, you will be alone. And it will be terrifying. This woman... She didn't have anything. She was nobody. She was faceless, a shadow. But every time you read the healing account, you know what Jesus talks about? Jesus always talks about faith. And don't tell me faith is not the cause of salvation. It is great. That all of that great theology, save it and bring it later on. Only thing I know, is Jesus is merciful. That's all I know. I don't care about great theology or anything else. Only thing that I know is Jesus is merciful. And he never rejected anyone. And he always honors their faith. Her faith, from our perspective, is really not a great faith. She doesn't know who Christ is. She does not confess. Westminster Confession. Only thing that she was hoping for is, I want to be just get out of this, this, this affliction. But the seed of faith, the primitive, primitive faith, Jesus honors. So in his interpretation, he does not say, even though he could have, he does not say, my power saves you. But daughter, your faith saves you. You know what that tells us is this. Jesus and our God, triune God, delights in one thing and one thing only. That is, in your faith. Unlike any other religion, our religion, Christianity, we cannot add anything unto our salvation, right? So nothing else that you do impresses him. You could hit something in your bag and bleed to death, and you could go through all kinds of physical suffering, whatever suffering, that whatever that you put it up, it does not impress God. Because it's not adding on to your salvation. There's absolutely nothing that could impress God. But you know what impressed Jesus. Only thing in the gospel that says Jesus marveled at something. What is it? Jesus only marveled at only one thing. He marveled at the centurion's faith. 
Nothing else. Nothing else. Whatever you, upbringing, your status, Jairus' status, nothing will impress our God and Jesus. But faith, why is that? Think about it. Why would faith impress Jesus and our God? Because more and more you put your faith, you depend on God for everything, especially salvation and everything else. And as you depend on God, God takes delight in your absolute powerlessness in your own self and coming to God alone, Christ alone, for all salvation and everything else. And God delights in your total dependence on God. You want to impress God? Go to Him with nothing in your hand. Knock on the door in Christ's name and He will receive One last thing I want to say is this. Out of all the predicaments that we talked about about this lady, one thing I did not intentionally mention was, obviously, if she has discharged, what is she? She is ceremonially what? That's right. She is ceremonially unclean. That unclean is a cultic language, and it is really has to do with that she is defiled or polluted, and she cannot draw near to God. She cannot share this problem with anyone else, and she cannot go to God for comfort. Leviticus 15 25. Now, if a woman has a discharge, of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has discharged beyond that period, all the days of her unclean discharge, she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity she is unclean. This fits her description. And any bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her like a bed at a menstruation, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, like her uncleanness from her menstrual impurity. Likewise, whoever touches them shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So, she's been unclean for 12 years. Pretty bad. She is so unclean that, I mean, I don't know. She probably had to go through so much of a purification if she's healed. She touches everything. Everything that she touches will be unclean. If she touches this, she will be unclean. If somebody touches her, she will clean. So all and on and on it goes. Like you are the person of, let's say, when the COVID time, when you have COVID, something like that. Everybody will be away from you. Nobody wants to come around. If she comes around, people could be violent. Because when you are ceremonially unclean, you cannot interact with other people. It has meaning for your business. If you are quarantining in your home, your business will suffer. So people will not simply ceremonially not like her, but all of them. But there's one passage as I was reading Exodus, one passage that drew my attention is this. Exodus 29 talks about all these purification rituals. And there's one phrase that I have not noticed, but listen to this. It's talking about the altar. For seven days... You shall make atonement for the altar 
and set it apart as holy. We know that. Then the altar shall be most holy, and whatever touches the altar shall be holy. Did you hear that? I underlined that because everything else is about unclean. You touch something unclean, you have to quarantine yourself for overnight, for how many days, whatever the law says. But here is one object that is, the word is most holy. Most holy object, whatever touches the altar, what happens? Unclean does not pollute the altar, but the altar shall make that holy. And whatever touches the altar shall be holy. And I thought, that's interesting. Maybe that's what's happening now. Most unclean woman who's been unclean for 12 years touches the most holy. And instead of polluting Christ with her 12-year uncleanness, and in that crowd probably she was the most unclean person. But that does not pollute Christ. But instantly she will be, she was healed, made whole, thing was dried up, and she obviously made whole and clean. I believe that's what had happened that Christ, God-man, came. And what happens when you touch the most holy object in the Old Testament? You die. But in this case, the most holy God-man, she touches, not even him, but the fringe of the garment, but she is made whole and clean, but she does not die. Isn't that wonderful gospel? Isn't that, that's the gospel. Couched in human form, the most holy God was walking by. And this is the gospel news. Brothers and sisters, Christ is beckoning you to come. It'll be a tragedy that you're so near to him, like coming to church. You are so near. Jesus is passing by, but don't let him. Touch him by faith and be made whole. That's the gospel for you. Let's pray.